0: Is it Harry Carey? Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about planes today. (laughs) Terry, Terry, tell us something about a plane you're building on your (laughs) workbench.
1: And Lee was worried he wasn't going to have much to say. (laughs) This
2: is the RC Roundtable. A casual discussion about all aspects of flying model airplanes. All right, welcome back, everybody. And we're, we've we've actually made it to five episodes. Uh, we're on a roll now. And joining me is a usual band of characters. We've got Terry Dunn. Hello. And Lee Ray. Howdy. Uh, sorry, Terry, no jingle this time, but maybe next time.
1: Yeah, I, w- I was promised to jingle.
2: Um, uh, I can maybe... Jingle something. There's your jingle.
0: Wow, this show is starting off really well. (laughs) (laughs) Can I vote to start over and have episode five point one?
2: No. Instead, Uh you can vote to start the roundtable. Have you seen something new this week? That's uh, it's to catch your fancy, or tell us about something that happened in the RC modeling world that you want to just you just can't wait to tell us about.
0: Uh, I had sent an email to you guys about the call I made to how do you you know I say I made the call to park zone but it was really horizon hobby but we had our discussions about some good starter planes and I had mentioned my park zone trojan and I really think it's a great plane and everything's kind of being phased out I went to RC groups and saw that a lot of people had been mentioning that park Zone's going bye-bye and so I thought I'd, I'd just get it directly from them so I called a couple of days ago and and asked the guy, you know, what's what's going on with Park Zone? And he pretty much confirmed my suspicions that, you know, they're going bye-bye and that they're moving a lot of their fleet over to eFlight brand. And it was very interesting to me that he he was very uh, <laughs> specific about how they're making everything 1.2 meters on the e-flight brand of the previous kits you know like the Trojans now 1.2 meter and the the, the new 50 p51 is a 1.2 meter on I, I just didn't think that was
2: is there something special about for 1.2, 1.2 meters? is it like easily divisible <laughs> by something or is it prime number I, d-
0: I don't know but <laughs> it was really weird but it uh, you know going back to your question it it just interested me to find out what was parks so I'm going to do and it, it it does appear that it's gonna go goodbye and i pulled up the e-flight trojan now and it's not the same uh, i think they had a really good thing going with the park zone and because of the changes and now they're adding as3x and adding flaps and i think this one also has retracks now um the price has just gone way up so it kind of kind of gets you out of that uh that, that little easier you know cost you know 170 i guess 175 dollars to get the kit or, or the uh the plug and play. So anyway, as far as new products, just keep your eye open for eFlight. They're going to start releasing some new models based on previous park zone it, kits. So is the
2: T twenty eight changed in size, or they just modified? It's one point two. So it wasn't one point two before. <laughs> I can't remember what the size was before. It
0: it was um, it was like forty. I think I'd mentioned that it was like forty two inches before. And now it's forty eight.
2: Oh, so so it's a must be a new kit then, a new mold.
0: Well. It is, but it, I mean, if you look at it, it looks the same. I mean, I saw the box over at the hobby shop, and I, I thought it was the same one, and they were I thought they were just repackaging it. But it is a little bit bigger, but as I said, it's got the, the flaps mm. and retracts. And since this is our live recording of the show, I'm pulling it up. <laughs> and and I, I'm laughing because I just pulled up the screen, and here it says, T28, 1.2 meter, <laughs> bind and fly basic. It doesn't say Trojan. <laughs> which, wow. you know, which most people know about it. And like the Carbon ZT28, it doesn't say the the size and meters. So I don't, I'm not sure what the I 1.2 means. I guess it's got to be a buzzword. Yeah, is somewhere. it the new
2: black or something? I don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I'm pulling it up. It does look like it's got flaps and retracts and the retail, excuse me, retail is $299, selling price is $279. But as I said, for $100 cheaper, you could have gotten a park zone. Bind and fl- uh, excuse me, plug and play, and I thought that was a. I mean, that was a very easy kit to want to purchase when, for that price. And, and boy, they fled great.
1: And they sold tons of them, tons. Uh, if somebody came to me and said, "Yeah, we've sold more of this kit than any other RC model kit in history," I would probably believe them. There was a time when you couldn't go to the flying field without seeing one in everybody's truck. Yeah.
0: I think you guys might remember this. Uh, wasn't there an event like at Ceph or NEAT where they had like 25 Trojans in the air at one time? Kind of when the Spectrum technology, they were trying to figure out how many they could get up in the air at one time?
1: I think that one, was... H- that ring a bell? Uh, well, Ceph. I've been to an event where they had more than 100 planes at once. They weren't all T-28s, but I'm sure they've had mass T-28 launches too. And even at some of the local Houston fly-ins, they did that. They had ten or more at once. Not all of them landed. <laughs> it didn't take long before some people started flying the wrong plane.
0: Well, and when I was at DEF, maybe f- six years ago, we had maybe you know, eight in the air at one time doing touch-and-goes. So
1: Now DEF is yeah. the electric event in Dallas,
0: correct? Yes. Okay. So, anyway, that's that's that. I'm sure you all have other wonderful planes to talk about.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I find that interesting because a lot of the T-28's charm and popularity was because of its simplicity. And it just seems weird that they're complicating it. It was a, a proven system. Not that the new one is bad. It's probably a fine plane, too. But it's different from what I can seems tell. Seems
2: unnecessarily complicated for such a plane that was already a really good flying plane that was simple and durable
0: yeah well and can I just say that I've 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 uh, I yes I've been flying for a long time so I'm I'm above average in my flying skills but it doesn't need AS3X I've seen people who are beginners fly the park zone version and it doesn't need AS3X
1: well I think it that can quiet. probably be well <laughs> <laughs> that, that statement requires some thought before responding and maybe I'll regret saying this, but I think a lot of the planes they sell that have AS3X don't need it. There's a benefit there for a lot of people. I, I agree. Not I've
2: I, I've seen very few planes that need AS3X, but it, it but a lot of people do like them a lot, and I think it's a lot of it's marketing too, and it smoothens out the flight of the plane. So I think maybe they think they they found that people don't need it, but they like it.
1: I'm just spitballing here, and it could be that. How long has that original Park Zone T28 been out? Years and years now, right? Yes. It, it may have just run its natural course where they would just weren't selling like they used to. So it was time for some sort of change to re-spark interest mm. in it. And I can kind of see that.
2: And it could have been the molds were wearing
1: out, too. I don't know what kind of molds they yeah, use. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say, it's a huge investment to retool. Yeah. So they have to have a big incentive to, to put that kind of money into a change. So I'm not going to question it i'm sure they have the reasons and i'm sure lots of people will buy this new version maybe one will find its way into my hanger we'll see
2: yeah all the ones i've seen the flown really good so um I, I might pick one up myself
1: now well, let, let's go back to lee you said you were at the hobby shop now last time we talked you said the brave had finally hit your price point did you bring one home i did not
0: it was there, and I went, uh, uh, but then I knew I was going to be getting a whole bunch of new planes from you uh, in, in a vehicle traveling from Lubbock, so.
1: <laughs> Correction, you were getting a bunch of old planes from me.
0: Still. You know. Good stuff, Maynard. Oh, wait, they're
1: mine. <laughs> they were once yours.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a cop-out. I, I expect the, the Horizon to be giving you a call sometime soon.
0: <laughs> oh, oh I just I, uh, I I did eye it again, I didn't see it. Um, Call your name. but I, I had to walk away.
1: Lead. Buy me, buy me. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we had a, a verbal contract. Right? Oh. You said when it, yeah, it You said uh, something like, that's the price I've been waiting for. right. Some sort of agreement where I think you made a commitment there to Horizon Hobby. Yeah. Uh, Uh,
0: And then the vision of my two children starving to death (laughs) 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 crossed my mind as I go flying while they're at home going, but daddy, we wanted to eat some more food.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And you call yourself a real Texan. I thought your word was your bond. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, hey,
0: I never say never. I just did not buy it that day. So,
2: Although I, okay. I, I will say it's pretty scary how well you did a British accent right just now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have, Terry? Anything uh, you want to talk about?
1: Uh, th- yeah, there are a couple things. Uh, the first one is not really a new product. Uh, I don't think it's new. But I just um, realized that it exists. It is a F-16 with a 105-millimeter electric fan and I became aware of it because one of the guys at my club here in Lubbock has been looking at them and I believe he ordered one um, but it's very impressive looking. Uh, Diamond Model Sport carries it and it's made by a company called HSD. I have no idea what the HSD stands for um, but it looks really good. It's a, a 12S system. Uh, the videos of it look really good. It's got all the usual things. uh with retracts and flaps and full flying tailor-ons uh, it's got afterburner lights um, anyway it looks like a real solid system and the flight videos of it, the flight videos look really good uh, taken off of grass uh, I, i'm impressed i'm looking forward to seeing it in person
2: it, it's funny you mentioned that you had a club member because i had the same thing that i hadn't really heard of him and I had a, one of my club members came out to me and started talking to me about it. He said, yeah, have you ever heard of this HSD-F4-F16? And uh, it's the 105 millimeter, what you were just talking about. And it, it's really impressive. One thing I noticed was the landing gear on the thing. It's really nice. Uh, inspect, have you seen, did you look see the nose gear, how that works? Uh, no, it, no. Basically, they seem to rec- replicate it, the real F16, because it has a 90-degree folding nose gear on it. And it's okay. really nice. Uh, if you look at the Diamond website, they actually have the retract mechanism outside. You can buy it separately. And I was looking at it. I was almost tempted just to buy just the retract mechanism. It's really kind of a work of art. It's all metal. It folds up, and it has, looks like a servo integrated into part for the steering. And it's really nice. And the main gear, too, is really nice. Look, it looks very scale.
1: Yeah, it looks good. Um, and did I mention that it's a foamy? I mean, this is not a fiberglass job, it's, it's molded foam, and it just looks good. Um, so I, I'm interested to see what it's like in real life and how it flies. And they're not that expensive for what you get, I believe. Diamond selling it for looks like $870, and that's for the airframe with servos and all the electronics. So to that you would just add a receiver and 12S battery. Not that a 12S battery is insignificant, but... Um, There's two 6S. Uh, oh, right, two success in series. I think you have to put them in saddles on either side of the, the ducting mm. for the fan. Um, and then also Banana Hobby is selling what looks to be the same kit, and I think they're closer to $700 for that. Oh, really? So uh, it looks like you can get into this 12S EDF for under $1,000 if you play your cards right it's
2: pretty nice. And you said it flew pretty good in the videos you saw?
1: Well, yeah, the videos I saw looked impressive. So you can only fake so much in post-processing. So the, uh, I think it's uh, worthy of checking out.
0: But that price is, whoa!
1: You think that's a lot? <laughs>
0: I, I didn't buy a $250 Brave at the store the other day. This
1: one's 870 No. <laughs> Um, Yes, and I'm not saying that isn't a lot of money, but I'm saying, comparatively, to try to put together an EDF with that kind of power system, uh, with all the components you need, does not seem like a lot of money.
2: Yeah, it is about right because that is a pretty big jet. You're talking 105 millimeter. Uh, That's even a 90 mil is considered a little on the large side. This is pretty big for that for electric foamy. So if you probably sourced everything out independently. Yeah, especially with a fancy landing gear like that. Yeah, you'd probably come up with that easily.
0: Do I need to budget $1,300 for a Spectrum DX20 for it?
2: <laughs> hey, <laughs> you got to pay to play, right?
1: If you want to save money, just make it Control Line.
2: <laughs> <laughs> control Line EDF. You know, that could be kind of fun, actually
1: i guess i wonder if that's ever been done Uh, they've done pulse jets before right yeah oh yeah why not edf why
2: not i don't know i do something that big
1: i'm sure they have huh challenge accepted (laughs) okay so i've got another thing i wanted to talk about and it does not fly this is the arma nero which is a monster truck it's one-eighth scale and it runs on a 6s battery and i don't think any of that is particularly new i don't have any 8th-scale electrics, but I think they've been around and I've seen them. And they tend to be very fast, very powerful. I almost think that I'd be scared of them. They're so powerful from what I've seen. But what looks unique about this one is it has three gear differentials in it, one front, one rear, one in the center. And you can lock or unlock those differentials individually from the transmitter. Oh, from the, the transmitter. Fly. Wow. Yes. So when we talked a few weeks ago about my drift car, I said that I had locked up the rear differential to get better drift performance. So I guess they're using that same sort of philosophy here to alter how this thing drives. They have different um, modes that I guess reflect which differentials are locked. They call blast, wheelie, drift, and climb. I have no idea what each one represents, but it appears that their claim is that whichever differentials you have locked is going to alter how it performs so i would be very interested to see that and and figure out if it's just kind of a flashy gimmick or if if it really makes a lot of difference from a technological standpoint it's significant it's, it's a really neat innovation yeah but i'm not sure how it translates into actual performance difference
2: i don't know closest thing i've ever seen was an ultimi Uh, Bruiser, I think they called it, which had a three-speed transmission that you could change on the fly. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. think it had two four-wheel drive, but I think it was manually locked. I don't think it was from the remote. This is the first time I heard of differentials. That was manually
1: from the, I mean, controllable from the remote. That's impressive. Right. Now, I have a Traxxas E-Max, which is a monster truck, and it has a two-speed transmission in it that you can change from the transmitter. And I thought it would be a really complex kind of mechanism that does it, but it's really quite simple. It's pretty ingenious. Yeah, looking at... And it makes a big difference. Looking at the pictures of this thing, it's pretty mean
2: looking. Uh, although, yeah. to be honest, I like it better with the body off than with the body on it. If you take the body off, the framework is just really neat. It looks like a Mad Max kind of thing. Yeah, very robust looking stuff. Yes. If I had one, I'd, I'd oh. never use the body on it.
1: It's <laughs> so cool looking. Yeah, and it's
0: If I can add... A personal perspective: These photos are great. I mean, they just—they really sell this truck.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they it's like do a, a good
2: job. Big.
0: I mean, it's very it's impressive. Big
2: stadium kind of rock crawler thing. It
1: looks like a lot of fun. It's partly waterproof, apparently. Yeah. Oh gosh, almost every electric car now is. Oh. It seems to be a requirement anymore to have waterproof electronics. Mm. But it's got the lay-down shocks with bell cranks, and yeah, I think they put a lot of thought into the layout of this thing. Um, so if looks count for much, th- this one is very impressive.
2: Occasionally, I I take, I uh, mean, the family go out to the beach and I like to take a little RC car with me sometimes. And this looked like something that'd be great running around on the beach and stuff and harassing the other tourists and whatnot. <laughs> your, oh, <Fitz. laughs> your story reminded me of when I used to have an A-scale, years ago, I had an A-scale gas car. I had a 20, 21-size engine and the thing. And this thing had a metal roll cage, and it needed it because it'd get rolling pretty fast, and it hit like a little pebble or something, and it end up flipping itself over about 20 times.
1: Wow. Yeah. it was. And there's enough mass there. You could break a leg or, or worse if you hit something. Yeah, I'm kind of intrigued uh, by it. A-scale electric. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the power's not an issue anymore. No. the bigger brushless motors and lipos i mean it's there i've got six cells already so Hmm.
2: yeah
1: so the next time you have a few hours to kill get on youtube see what some people are doing with these things you'll be impressed so those are my two new items that caught my eye this week
2: well for me i was uh, poking around on, on maxford usa model site And if you're not familiar with Maxford models, they have some. It's a really neat underdog company because they have some really interesting things that pop up every once in a while. And I saw that they have coming out an E2C Hawkeye, 71-inch, twin Ewax Navy Ewax plane. I believe it's Navy. Yes. Uh, And uh, if just the fact that they have an E2C Hawkeye, I thought was pretty neat. But this one actually has folding wings on it, and that was really eye-opening and eye-catching in that both wingtips fold back just like the real one does on a Navy carrier, Uh, although (laughs) these are...
0: You mean, I'm sorry, I'm laughing already, going, yeah, it certainly is eye-catching when they fold up in the air.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's eye-catching and then quite depressing when it hits the ground.
1: (laughs) Okay, you don't want to hit that switch in flight.
2: No. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I've done that once on a plane where the wings folded in flight, but that was not intended. Well, these But these are not power folding. Right? No, they're That's not powered. They're manually folding. So I think it's more of a gimmick thing, or I guess for storing in a car, which is actually not too bad of an idea. Uh, so you have to manually... Or your or your aircraft or carrier. Your, aircraft, your model, your <laughs> A-scale aircraft carrier. Uh, so you do have to swing them manually into position and there's a couple of slide locking mechanisms uh, on, on top of the wing and they have a video of it flying around and stuff. And I thought, well, for an ARF this is pretty fantastic. And I thought it would be interesting to see if you could actually make them mechani- uh, electronically foldable remotely. Might be a neat challenge to do if you could modify it. Oh, boy.
1: That would be a big challenge.
2: <laughs> yeah. Challenge? Uh, never
1: mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, you've done variable incidents before. I would have called that a big challenge, but you, you clobbered that all over the
2: place. Yeah. So I guess i got to amp, amp up my game and see if I can do an actual folding wing Uh well, one way to find out. All right, well, let's uh, take a break, and we'll be right back with our main topics. So after years of procrastinating, I finally made it to the Small Steps Flying in Little Rock, Arkansas. Small is an acronym for Small Airplane Lovers League, and it's a flying. It's been going on for a long time, and uh, some friend of mine had told me some really good things about it. And they said, "You got to go. You got to go. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread and uh, nuclear fusion." So, so I packed up the car and, and the wife and a bunch of planes, and we drove the seven hours up to Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, I t- ended up having a really good time. And while I was there, I decided to interview a couple of the people that helped run the event and helped start the event, and uh, Let's take a listen and see what they said about the small steps. I'm here with Bobby Moran at the 2016 Small Steps. In between rain squalors and uh, rain showers, uh, I've been able to uh, get Bobby aside and we're going to have a quick chit-chat with him. Hi Bobby. Hello. Uh, Bobby, uh, you're at a CDS event, uh, how long have you been a CD of this event?
3: I've been a CD for three to four years now.
2: Great, did you attend before being a CD? Uh,
3: yes sir. Um, started there and when we started doing small, um, I joined the club in 2008 and been coming small ever since. It's just a great time.
2: Well, tell us a bit about small. For somebody who doesn't really know anything about small, what would you tell them?
3: I'd say uh, small is one of the laid-backest uh, events that I've ever been to and been around. It's uh, more dedicated to the smaller engines, you know, the .25 displacement and smaller. Uh, and it's just unique aircraft, great hospitality, and the guys are great, you know, they come out, and you know, no matter what the weather conditions are, we just have a great time every time. Um, it's not, you know, full of rules and regulations. It's just come out and you know, have fun and enjoy the skies. You know, we'll have anywhere up to seven and eight planes in air at a time Sometimes, you know, it's just from all different types of aircrafts. You know, free flights. You know, it's just awesome. Uh,
2: how long have you been flying models?
3: I've been flying since uh, 2007. You're relatively new to this. Yes, I am. I got started off in the uh, in the giant scale and just kind of worked my way backwards in, in, in the hobby. I started out with um, some 25% and ended up now I've you know, got little control lines and free flights. It's just awesome. What have you get hit on your head or something? I think so. The, the uh, Just the fun. I mean, come out here with these group of guys is just awesome. Come out here and, they like I said, just no pressure, a bunch of unique, you know, different aircrafts. Everything's handmade, you know, a little bit of arse, but it's just, Awesome to see this stuff that's all handcrafted nowadays instead of all these kit builds and everything.
2: Yeah, one of the things I noticed when I research about small is it seems to be a lot of unusual and scratch-built designs.
3: Yes, sir. It's it's pretty cool. Like you know, right now there's a surfboard flying through the air. You know, just you don't see that kind of stuff every every day. Well, Bobby, that sounds great. Um, even though this is my first time,
2: I really look forward to this weekend. Regardless of what the weather looks like, I brought a car full of planes,
3: and uh, this is, looks already fantastic. Uh, any last words? Um, yeah, I guess uh, if, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they just want to come out to an event and have a good time, uh, no matter your experience level, beginner, intermediate, or if you've been flying for years, you know, it's, it's just a great event to come to and, and just kick back and, and have a great time. Alright Bobby, thank you so much for your time. That sounds fantastic. Good
2: luck in uh, the next year.
3: Yes sir, thank you.
2: I'm here with Steve Staples and Steve actually helped start this event at SMALL some 27 years ago as I understand. Uh, Steve, tell us about how this event started and your participation in it.
4: SMALL began in in the Dallas area. Randy Randolph and Joe Wagner decided they wanted to have an event involving small planes. At that time the uh, engine limit was 25 with a little allowance for control line planes. but uh, It's 1988, I think it was September or October in 1988 when they started it there. And back in those days, there was a great Arkansas-Texas football rivalry. So Randy challenged us Arkansas boys that attended to do one of the events up here in in Little Rock, which we did. And our first event was in uh, June of 1990. And we've not missed it since and it just goes on and on and on people from all over the country come here and uh, of course weather is not great this year we have a muddy field but it rains at night and doesn't rain during the day so we're having a great time slopping around in
2: the mud and flying toy airplanes of small displacement I can hear him in the background 27 years is a really really good run what do you attribute such a successful run
4: I think it's just the success of the event is the fact that there's no competition Everybody helps each other, everybody's friends. There's no fist fights, there's no guns, gun fights. Uh, we just enjoy helping each other. Anybody can fly anybody's plane. Just ask if you see something you want to fly.
2: Well, that, that's great. The, the, the laid-backness of it, so to speak, and the camaraderie is something I, I immediately noticed, and, and it's really impressive. The event
4: started out as a typical two-day event. And then we had to go to three days, and now we're at four days. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and people were here Monday.
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, I I ran across a couple people from uh, California and uh, parts way north, and it's really impressed just for such a, oh, it sounds like an obscure event, but it just has a really good following.
4: Oh, it's amazing. There's people here I know from Maryland, uh, South Carolina, Dakota, uh,
2: north or south, I
4: don't know, uh, Colorado. California a lot from Texas very few people from uh, the Arkansas area show up it's mostly people from out of state because you get it's it's mostly glow the last two years Uh, glow has outdone electric
2: because there's no place around where guys can go and do this That's the first thing I noticed is more 049s here than I've ever seen any time in my modeling career in one place. You can
4: actually see Cox Plastic Models fly.
2: (laughs) Uh, We see one right now. Uh, Well, Well, he was flying. (laughs) 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 That's okay. That one's a PT-19. It's just rubber bands together. (laughs) All right. Well, Steve, thanks so much. I really appreciate taking the time out to, to talk to us. Thanks. All right. Thank you. And I'm here with Wade Baker of electriccombat.com and they're known for the hog wild combat CorePlast combat planes. Uh, and these things are really du- super durable, they're really neat. Uh, Wade, tell us about your company. Um, my dad is the founder of the
5: company. Uh, he has 50 plus years of experience in RC. He's been around forever. <laughs> and uh, his specialty is combat. And he worked for the government building drones. And uh, they hired him because of his combat skills. So he's been developing combat planes for years and we wanted something simple, durable, uh, inexpensive that we could fly at events and get multiple planes going together. And these are capable of basically as many of them as you want in the air, smash them as many times as you want. Uh, they hardly ever get damaged. About the worst damage you'll have is maybe a prop break, uh, which is relatively inexpensive. We wanted to stay inexpensive combat and we wanted the durability that Cora Blast provides versus foam. Um, it's a different design. It's an original of dad's, and Bobby Baker. And uh, years of development and beating planes together has determined what worked best for us. And lots and lots of smashing planes, and this is what we came out with. We've got a new hog wild coming. Uh, should be available in fall. And we've also got a new micro hog uh, for close quarters combat. Also very, very durable, made of coroplast. So we can do a little smaller venue, uh, possibly even indoor. Uh, we're still in development on it. Uh, it should also be available this fall.
2: Well, it's really neat. I hope you can bring it to market, and I want to thank you for taking the time out to talk to us. Thank you very much. Small, it, it's just a really neat event to go to. It's got a, It's um, uh, it's, a, it's such an eclectic event. You see a lot of different and really unique and and odd things there and it was every time i was turning around i saw something uh, unique and odd flying around or just something that caught my attention so these guys really love model airplanes and love building interesting models and and showing off and having a really good time with them It it was it was really glad i was able to come up and attend it
1: so not a lot of arfs there
2: no not a lot of arfs at all very few uh, that I can remember seeing. Lots of st- stick build kits and, and foamies or just odd stuff. Uh, and the few ARFs I did see were very unusual ARFs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lots of 049 power planes, lots of control line. Uh, it was funny, they, they actually said this attendance was down this year because of all the rain scare. And, and it was pretty muddy out there. But the weather flying weather was actually really nice. And I got a lot of flights in. And if this was a bad off year, then I can only imagine what a good year is because it still was a quite well attended and uh, I had a great time. How did your Spitfire do? It did pretty good, actually. Uh, I flew it three times. Uh, I would have flown it more, but then I actually had a ended up having a problem with it. Uh, I flew it around. We wanted to have a mass 049 flight, so we cranked it up, and I was flying around with a couple other guys. And... And one guy was trying to start his glider that has three 049s on it. And that thing makes a racket. And I ended up not hearing that my plane had, the engine had cut off. I guess I ran out of fuel or whatever. And I, didn't, I couldn't hear it because this other guy was starting up behind me. It had just, It sounded like the world was ending. And, and <laughs> I realized at the last second, I thought, oh, wait a minute, I'm dead stick. I ended up uh, <laughs> uh, doing a, a minor cartwheel on the ground and I ended up, uh, damaging the wing a little bit that it wasn't flyable. After that, it wasn't seriously damaged, but it was enough that if I flew it anymore, I probably fold the wings. It had a, some minor spar damage
1: that I had to fix. Oh no! Yeah. Well, for anyone who didn't hear our last episode, uh, Fitz talked about this plane. It was uh, how old is it? Like twenty oh, years? Oh, at least twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you describe it rather than me.
2: Well, it's a Gillows balsa wood kit. This is the old stick and tissue type kits that they sold out. Uh, they're either rubber band powered or it can be made control line or free flight or even RC. Uh although it, it, it's real vague in the plans for RC. So I built it some years ago and I covered it with Monaco, stuck stuck 049 in the nose and made it a two channel RC. And I I flew it a, a few times and stuck it away and it's traveled with me as I moved through different states and houses and things like that. And I literally hadn't flown it for about 20 years. And so the engine was all gunked up and there was no gear inside of it. And so I had to take the engine out, clean it up, run it a few times. And it still ran, surprisingly. And put some modern gear in it and took it out and flew it and had a good time with it. So it was, I have to admit, it was sort of a mixed, I had mixed feelings flying it. And now that I've pretty much gone all electric, flying a little glow-powered 049, even though 049s were my gateway drug, it was... It was nice and nostalgic, but, uh, not something I'd want to do all the time. <laughs> you know, are still a little bit cantankerous and, and you've got fuel and all that kind of stuff. So it was, I can see myself doing it once or twice a year, especially for small, but it's not something I make a habit of.
1: So your opinion, walking a- away from small steps, is that everything they said it would be?
2: Well, I'm not prone to hyperbole. Uh, I, I had a really good time with it. I, some guys were saying that if they could only attend one event in a year, they would go to small, and uh, I don't know if I call it quite that good, but it was very good.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching your video from this year.
2: Yeah, I got so I got some good stuff on video, I think, and uh, you should, should should be reasonably entertained. But probably the neatest thing they had was these flying pterodactyls, uh, which were oh, ornithopter yeah. things. I guess Hobby King sells them, and these things. Uh, they actually flew pretty good. They were able, one guy was able to fly it around and do loops and rolls with it until he did, I think, another loop and the wing snapped. <laughs> what was funny is when they are flying and flapping, they actually fly pretty good. They were pretty maneuverable and pretty stable. But when you stop flapping, they become unstable and swap ends and do this weird somersault flip in the air and continue to do it until you either stop flapping Again, or you hit the ground.
1: That's why the dinosaurs became extinct.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. Always flapping. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Some of the people made the same joke. <laughs> I think they eventually found that if you put a, a fin in the rear end, that it helped a lot. <laughs> There's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> But I'm going to leave it alone. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyways. Well, anyways, if you're ever in the Arkansas area, uh, uh, the Little Rock, Arkansas. If you're ever in a Little Rock, Arkansas area, definitely consider giving small steps a try. You won't be disappointed. It's a really, really fun event.
1: Well, one thing I wanted to talk about this week is product reviews. And that's something that I do quite a bit of. And Fitz, I know you've done several video reviews of things as well as written reviews. And when I talk to people and they find out that that I do that, they typically have a lot of questions. It's something that people are interested in and in knowing more about. So I thought we would kind of give some insider insight on how product reviews happen, at least for the RC world. So, are you guys game? Yeah, sounds like a good idea. I'm, I'm okay. game. <laughs> um, so a little bit of background at least for me on product reviews i've been writing for different magazines since 2004 and prior to that i had my own website that i was kind of documenting some of my rc projects and things like that and right about that time fly rc magazine had just come out so rather than put something on my website i said hey let me shoot these guys a little pitch and see if they're interested in doing it so i sent an email and then lo and behold they said sure go ahead and do that. And it was a how-to article. And what was it about? I forget. Oh, yeah. It was about how to convert uh, one of the chuck gliders into an RC plane. And after doing a few different how-to articles, I asked if I could start doing reviews. And so they let me do that. And they started me out small with some simple stuff and eventually um, got to do lots of different things. And since then, I've done a bunch of reviews for. I did them for Fly RC, uh, now Model Aviation and Tested.com, and uh, for a while I was also writing for RC Report. So, that, anyway, that's how I get into it. Fitz, how did you get started?
2: I started with RC groups actually. Some about about the same time actually, Terry. Roughly, uh, with RC groups was still sort of in the early stages, and they were looking for some people to do some reviews and, uh, write articles and that kind of thing. And I started with, uh, some of the helicopter stuff in RC groups. In fact, I was a, uh, the first moderator of the RC helicopter forum that they had cause they didn't have any. And I, I asked the, the guy at RC groups said, Hey, you need a RC, you need a forum for RC helicopters He said, yeah, it's a good idea. How about you become the moderator since you asked <laughs> and, uh, That's Jim Burke. That was Jim Burke. Yes. Uh, Jim Burke yeah. owns R C groups and he used to live in the Dallas area. So when I lived in the Dallas area, we would cross paths quite often and uh we ended up becoming actually quite friendly with each other. And uh one day uh he said, Hey, um I've got some one company sent me this R C helicopter. It was an I think the LMH helicopter. Yeah, as a matter of fact it was. The old do you remember the L M H helicopters? They were fixed pitch. They originally they used were
1: used R C car motors. They use R C car motors,
2: 6L, 6L, yes. And it was, uh, it was actually, it was almost indestructible and had a really clever gyro that was based on gyroscopic progression to help to keep the table steady. So you didn't have to have a, a, mechanical gyro or any other electronics. And so it was really, actually a really clever design. And he wasn't really big into helicopters and he, and he said, Hey, why don't you review this thing? And I was like, me, what, huh? <laughs> he said, yeah, go give it a shot. And so I ended up putting a review of it and posting it up and I actually did pretty good with it and uh, that had an interesting story all in itself. Uh, actually added up with a little bit of criticism in my review and not really anything I did per se. Uh, there was a lot of controversy on the motor that was used in that particular helicopter and people were thought it was subpar. And when I flew it, it flew just fine. I didn't have any issues with it. And some people took issue with that because they had problems with it. And all I can say is I didn't have any problems with it. I and this is one thing when reviewing models you know it's trying to be fair and and say this is what i saw and how it performed and so anyways uh, not to get sidetracked too much uh from there i ended up doing some other reviews they let me since they liked the review i did on that i ended up doing some reviews on some other airplanes and whatnot and a few other helicopters i ended up writing an article on helicopters in general that i would published a uh, monthly or so and uh, so basically they just used that to build my resume
1: and worked up from there Now, it's you mentioned that one of the challenges of doing reviews where you're kind of putting all your thoughts out there in the open and it really open to criticism and that, that at least for me brings to light my philosophy on reviews and I don't know if this is unique to me or if I'm the only one because I've never really talked to any other reviewers about this but I don't really see my job as um, having to bless or condemn any sort of model there's, there's just too many different opinions and too many variables involved with even putting together an ARF that I think any opinion I might have is, is almost irrelevant so from my standpoint, what I try to do when I put together a review is give whoever's reading the, the article more insight into that particular model than they would be able to get from the the marketing stuff that's in magazines, you know, the ads, or whatever's on the website, just to give them kind of an inside look at what they're dealing with so that they can make a more informed decision about it. Um, sure, I'll say stuff that I like and don't like, but to me, that's kind of ancillary to the point of the article. And I always try to, if I note a problem with a kit, to me, if it's worth noting the problem, it's also mandatory that I describe how I overcame that problem, either by replacing a part or making a tweak or whatever it is to to overcome that thing. To me, that's just as important.
2: Yeah, I agree. And that's something I, I also try to do. I try to be fair, but realistic, and I try not to be vindictive, but I also try not to sugarcoat anything. Uh, I just want to be honest, because your reputation's on the line. Uh, so you want to be informative, and one of the trickiest things, especially when you're writing an article, is not simply to repeat what the manual says. Anybody can read the manual, but if you can offer insight, overcome maybe minor issues or uh, corrections, things you think could be done better... Or simply just giving an ex- a, an expanded view of how the model puts together how it flies or drives or whatever like that, and so if somebody walks away from an article, giving a better picture of what they may or may not be getting into if they decide to go with this particular product.
1: Yeah, and an interesting thing that I've figured out is you're almost always dealing with new products, um, just because that's how the industry works, and typically the manuals are written and all the advertising are done with pre-production samples which may or may not accurately reflect what the production models are so if you're just copy and pasting info out of the the manual you may be getting it wrong so it's it's pretty important to make sure the actual production models are you know what you're talking
2: about yeah i had a model like that where the manual was had some noticeable deficiencies in it and i pointed out that this uh, that it was incorrect here, or this is how I saw, how I was able to put it together with, with this information, or so to speak, so to sort of fill in the gaps that uh, a, a, a manual that was written for a pre-production model, and it obviously needed to be amended. Uh, so if somebody buys this, they can look at the article and say, oh, this is what the manual means, or this is how I'm supposed to do it, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Now, I'll be interested to hear some of the questions that you've heard, but typically when I talk to people and they find out uh, that I'm a reviewer, they, they have several questions. Um, the first of which is, do you have to buy the stuff? And the answer to that is sometimes for me, most of the time it's the airframe itself, whether it's a quad or airplane or helicopter, whatever, usually that's provided by the manufacturer at no cost. Now, if it requires accessories, um, that's all on me. And for some of the bigger players like Horizon Hobby and Great Plains, they want to make sure that their accessories are shown with the model. They want to see it reviewed with the stuff that they recommend, which makes a lot of sense. So a lot of times they'll also send those accessories. Um, but it's um, I probably do as much stuff for smaller manufacturers as I do for the big guys. So for me, if anybody ever wonders why I have several different brands of radios, that's it, because Great Plains wants to see Futaba in their models, and Horizon wants to see Spectrum, and Multiplex wants to see Hi-Tech or Multiplex. So I've got several different brands of radios in my shop just to accommodate those different manufacturers for reviews. And it's kind of neat to see how all the different stuff compares, but at the same time, it's hard to, to get really competent on any one brand because you're always switching back back and forth between the different brands.
2: Yeah. You kind of touched on something I wanted to talk about as well. And that, uh, there may be some misconceptions about being a reviewer. Uh, you might think, oh, you get a bunch of free stuff and you, you pop out a real quick article and, and profit. And there's a lot of work that goes into reviews and it's, it's really, it's not something you do to make money off of. It's really just a love of the hobby to do it because it takes a lot of time. You have to formulate how you wanna approach a review, what kind of narrative you wanna have with it. You gotta write the article, you've got to edit it. If whether you're doing video or written, it, it you go you go through several iterations, how uh, you want to make it sound not like you're reading stereo instructions when you're writing the stuff. And it's it's a lot of work. And that's just not not including actually building the product. This is just trying to put your thoughts together and, and overcome writer's block and all kinds of other stuff. And then you gotta spend time Putting the product together, photographing it, videotaping it, whatever, and it, it is a lot of work. And if you probably amortize it by the amount of hours you spent and how much money you know, maybe uh, what the product's worth, you're not talking much per hour at all. You're it's really it's 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 just something you do because it's for your love of the hobby.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I've tried making the minimum wage. Type argument to people before, and they're generally um, unsympathetic. So, <laughs> and I can't say much. Um, you know, if I didn't think it was worth it, I I wouldn't be, have done it for this long. So, there's certainly benefit to it. Well, yeah, and
2: it, it's nice to, for the sheer variety of things you get to play with, and it, it's it is really nice. And, and I have to admit, it is fun to to work on a, you know quarter scale cub one time and then a drone the next time or or something goofy you know like i mentioned mexer models I actually reviewed one of their models called the dh2 which is it's more a contraption than an airplane it's a world war 1 uh fighter plane and it was just the neatest thing in the world but it, it took quite a bit to put together and 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 write up and stuff like that but it you just it is a really interesting thing to do and and I'm, i do consider myself fortunate that I, fortunate excuse me that i'm able to uh do this on in my spare time and it's it's really been a lot of
1: fun yep i agree now i've got more questions so um the next question that people usually ask is do you get to keep this stuff and up until very recently i would have said yes without exception that once you've reviewed it this stuff is yours but only recently i reviewed my first product that i had to send back Hmm. and that was the dji phantom four and hmm. I didn't mind that. I mean, I would have preferred to keep it because I really liked it. But um, I guess they have so many people who want to review them and so few that they have available. they I was in the second round of people uh, to review this particular one. So I think they just go back and forth and they ship them to the next yeah, person.
2: Yeah, that is unusual. And uh, either it's something that's really valuable or just a lot of demand and not much supply. Uh, I saw that uh, one of the flight test guys were reviewing some sort of vertical takeoff airplane drone kind of thing, and they mentioned, too, that they were not the first person to review this. They actually had been around, and they were reviewing something that had already been flown, and, and it wasn't new in the box, and I think they had to give it back as well. So it seems like that, I don't know if that's a new trend or not. I, I have personally haven't had to do that yet, but that is interesting
1: if you said that. Well, I think for most hobby products, the time you get it ready to fly there are some irreversible things that you have to do yeah, yeah. so giving it to someone else is not really practical so hmm. and now here's one i'd like to hear your input on too um what happens when you crash a review model and that's something that has happened to me a few times and it's always been my fault and the worst one was several years ago there was a kit called the top-notch models uh, and it was a model of the Aero Commander and this was actually the strike version of the Aero Commander which was the plane that Bob Hoover flew in air shows for a long time and this is a balsa wood kit with a bunch of tiny pieces that uh, strangely enough I didn't actually build it I partnered with one of our friends Bill Schwander and he did all of the kit building and uh, I did the power system and other things but By the time it was ready to fly, we had a lot of time invested in it. And then on the maiden flight, we made a a tremendous error in calculating the CG, and we got it wrong. And I spun that sucker in and turned it into toothpicks. And amazingly, Bill was able to rebuild it from the parts we had. He got some replacement parts, but he put that thing back together, and then we ended up having some successful flights where we could finish the review. But that was a, a definite sinking feeling to watch that thing go in and know how much time we had into it, and that I was still on the hook for a review on it. Yeah. And then more recently, I was reviewing the, um, what's it called? Oh, the Helimax Form 500, which is a, a quad. And they bill it as a utility quad, and so I was trying to think of all the neat things you could do under the, the label utility. And so I decided it was going to tow some streamers to do park flyer combat. So I rigged up this neat contraption that would um, play out some streamer while it was in the air. And I had an issue while I was flying and I couldn't retract the streamer. And so I had to land with the streamers deployed. And you can imagine what happened. As soon as it started descending, it flew into the streamers. And (laughs) once it wrapped around the first prop, it wrapped around all of them. And it took a, a ballistic dive from about 50 feet up. Ooh, so that uh, required some new parts. <laughs> and, ouch. But it's all part of the gig. Yeah. I got it back together and finished the review and everything was fine.
2: I'll have to say that I've been more fortunate. I haven't outright crashed anything that, that I've been reviewing. Uh, the closest thing I had was I had one plane where the uh, it shed a prop and that ended up ripping the whole motor off the firewall. Oops. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, I was able to actually get the plane down without too much damage uh, without really any more damage despite the the sudden rearward shift in CG uh, but I did lose the motor <laughs> it's somewhere out in the field still somewhere and so I had to uh, fabricate a new firewall and I th- thought and I was able to get a new motor from the, from the company so I put it back together and had no more issues with it but that was the closest thing that I've ever had to crashing anything so far Knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Your time is coming. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> You're overdue. <laughs> the next review is going to go up and roll over on its back and just destroy itself.
1: <laughs> uh, I can tell you, having not lived in Houston for three years, uh, I was really spoiled when I lived there because I had you two guys to help me out when I was at the field for, for photo shoots and video shoots for my reviews. Uh, without question, my biggest challenge in doing these reviews is getting good quality photos and video which I think probably seems like a trivial thing to a lot of people, but taking good pictures of small flying airplanes is tough. It, it takes two people who know what to do on One, a pilot who's willing to fly low and slow enough to give the photographer a fighting chance, and then a photographer who's handy enough with a camera to be able to track uh, a small flying object and, and take flattering pictures of it. And I felt like with you two guys, all of us were comfortable either on the sticks or behind the camera, and our odds of success were generally pretty good. So I miss you guys. Oh, he likes me. He really likes me. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Terry. It's it's always been a pleasure uh, you know, photographing the cool things you brought out to the field, too, especially if it was something that you made, like the parallax.
1: Well, thanks,
2: Lee. <laughs> Speaking of parallax, I flew that at the small event, by the way. Yeah, I wiped the dust off of it. People thought it wouldn't fly, and I flew it around several times.
1: (laughs) So now yours is the canard version of the Parallax. Yes. And for those who don't know, it's an asymmetric little park flyer that I designed a few years ago. And Fitz's version is one of my first prototypes, where after you built yours, I gave up on the canard because I didn't like the, uh, the pitch stability. So I went to a normal... Uh, horizontal stabilizer after that, but you stuck with the canard and had some pretty good success with it.
2: Yeah, it, 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 works okay. It, it still has its quirks, uh, but it's, it's not terrible, but it's certainly flyable. And I was, I flew it a couple of times. So, uh, with the CG, right. And the little tweaks we did to the canard, it's flyable, but I think if you were to do it again, not have a full flying canard and just have a, a fixed with a hinge trailing edge, probably would have been a better, uh,
1: solution, I think. For, for That's for how it. my original prototype is, oh, yeah. which I've still got. Hmm. It, it was flyable, but it did have some, some pitch issues. Um,
2: this one still does a little was, bit, but it's not it's not terrible.
1: I remember our first few launch attempts with yours, and <laughs> <laughs> you never never knew where that thing was going to go. <laughs> we should have been wearing hard hats. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah I was telling somebody else about the story about that until we until we changed to a reverse direction prop that thing was it was it was unflyable right. <laughs> surprised we didn't destroy it <laughs> but um the, the the go back you you made a really good point about the photography and, and we, we missed you too because uh, when you left and i had to do some stuff uh one plane uh I, I needed to get some video of it and so i asked some guys at the club and you would have thought I'd ask them to club a baby seal when I asked them to videotape something. They were they wouldn't <laughs> touch it with a 10-meter cattle prod. Uh, and so so I said, okay, I'll do the reverse. I'll have somebody fly it, and I'll videotape it and take some pictures. And so I picked one of the club members who's known for being a really good pilot. He a he pattern. I think he did the competition pattern. And I said, okay, I'll have him fly it and just go around, do some stuff, do some aerobatics. Give me, I can get some good shots. And he flew it like a trainer. He <laughs> wouldn't do anything <laughs> other than fly a basic circuit. <laughs> I guess he was scared of hurting it yeah. or something. I was like, no, you need to. <laughs> so, yes, finding a good photographer is, is worth their weight in gold. Uh, uh, except for Lee. He's, not, he's worth his weight in, I don't know, lead
1: oh come on platinum
2: <laughs> platinum yes i I got lucky and my current guy um jeff he's he's flies models and he's really good at videotaping so i've gotten lucky that i got a club member that can really help me and he's helped me a lot he's been really good and uh, we've become really good friends and uh, i really appreciate his efforts in helping me get these video stuff done despite his Sometimes complaining <laughs> when I want to do a retake. <laughs> you already recorded that five times.
1: Well, I want to do it one more time just to make sure I got enough video. To... <laughs> and, you know, I, I've i been demanding like that before. And then when you get home and look at it, it's that last one that's the, that's the golden
2: Yeah, Yep, yep. You can never have too much video.
1: Okay, I think we beat this <laughs> review thing to death. Um, I covered the obvious topics or at least the stuff that i'm usually answering for people so if if anybody out there has questions feel free to contact us and we'll we'll tell you what we know oh i, I did want to bring one more thing up um some people ask if there's any sort of bias as in you know why does every review say that uh, you know the model flies like it's on rails and please somebody shoot me if i've ever actually written that at an article i don't think i have but if i ever do You have my permission. Um, And I I don't know. I've written negative things about models before, or shortcomings. I was very frank about it, and I have never been asked by any of my four editors to to amend that, and it was printed as written. So, at least from my perspective, I don't feel like there's any bias there. Have you ever been pressured to to bend what you saw, Fitz?
2: No, I can I can't recall ever being pressured to bend would have written um yeah. i've asked and i and i closest thing i've had was i had an editor call me up uh one time i was written for an article for a magazine i had written a particular thing and he called me and says the company says that this particular plane is would be good for beginners what do you think and i said no it's not a hard plane to fly but it's certainly not a beginner plane and uh and I, I would be unwilling to endorse that it would be anything a beginner would even want to try and the editor to his credit said, Yeah, I agree with you and, and I just wanted to get your opinion on it before making any changes or anything like that and they let it go the way I had originally written it. They didn't say anything about it being beginner plane. So I think sometimes some companies may do that, I guess, for more market, but uh, uh, I I've never that was the closest I've ever been asked and that was and the editor was real polite and diplomatic about it. He just wanted to get my opinion and he agreed with me and we were we were off just fine after that.
1: So, and I think that's an important point to make that these reviews are there is a marketing aspect associated with it. You know, the companies send these products in the hope that you know it will get a, a positive review, and that will I won't say it's free advertising, but it's you know exposure for these products that they've invested a lot of money in. So, uh, they certainly have an interest in making sure that. The truth about it comes out. You don't want to get a grumpy old guy who who doesn't like anything to to review their stuff. So uh, I feel like they put a lot of faith in the magazine and and the writer indirectly when yeah. they ship that box and and they really have no say on what gets printed on the other side.
2: Yeah, and and, and like I mentioned before, right, I try to be fair but not vindictive. But if I see a problem, I'll, you know, I'll politely point it out. Hey, I think this needs to be changed. Uh, I think that happened with one of the more recent planes I did, which was a very nice plane, but I felt that they kind of missed the mark on a couple spots on the design that could have really livened it up, and I made note of that. Uh, But I didn't sit there and say, your plane sucks, (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. When
1: I pull a kit out of the box, I'm always relieved when I find something that's obviously wrong because the worst thing in the world for me is to find a kit that I can't really make any legitimate gripes about because... People immediately question your review.
2: Yeah, they think you're just a cheerleader for for an company stooge, and, yeah, and right, you know, Enron board. helped help pay for that ad or something like that. You know, your review. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. ten years from but now, nobody's going to know what Enron to be, is. To be
2: this today. <laughs> yeah, to be continued. Yes. Uh, All right. Well, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our final segment.
0: And here's the part of the episode where we talk about what's on our workbench. And I'm going to go first because I have nothing on my workbench. I've been busy with the kids and getting my, uh, my son ready for a huge scout trip to Colorado. So I have had uh, no projects completed in my workshop. The only thing I have done is, is started construction on a little desk for my, uh, my youngest, Ryan, uh, for his room. So we're, we're painting that and putting some legs on it and stuff like that. So there's my, my workbench story. Uh, how about you guys?
2: Well, a couple of podcasts ago, I mentioned I had an RX-D250. Well, I finally got it finished up and flying, and uh, it's a pretty neat little thing. Uh, it's a racing quad, if you're not familiar with it. And I finally got a chance to put the receiver in it, put the camera in it, and uh, transmitter. And so I gave it a quick test flight in the backyard, and everything seems to be good, so we're gonna I'm going to have to take it out and really tear up the skies with it. And I, I noticed it's really weird flying it. From the video versus flying it from third-person view, it's it you know, <laughs> that I'm going to, have to get used to and do a lot of practice on. Uh, but it looks like it'll be a lot of fun. I look forward to it uh, when we have some nice weather. Uh, but also, not much else. Uh, I um, comic the Houston Comic Con is coming up, which is they call it Comic Palooza, and it's a big three or four-day event. And so I'm kind of wiping the dust off my Robo Dog and. It's on the workbench, literally, and I'm gonna see if I can tweak him a little bit and uh, get some, get the everything working, and maybe a couple of enhancements I've been meaning to make on him. So uh, that's about the only thing I have on my workbench. It's been kind of light since I've spent the last week at fly-ins and other stuff. So and getting life, my last video out. That took a while.
1: Now, when you say Robo Dog, you mean your
2: canine doctor who thing yes my doctor who canine he's a full-scale replica prop of the robot dog from the classic doctor who series so i have one that's very functional i can drive him around and he he can talk and do all kinds of stuff and so i've been kind of neglecting him and been meaning to work on him some more but (laughs) the hobby stuff and has gotten in the way and i really need to get him up and running because he's always a big hit at the comic convention because there's always people running around in Doctor Who costumes and that kind of stuff, and the kids really like him because they can pet him and that kind of things and and, and people like to take pictures with him, and I drive him around. In fact, we're going to have some dialect races, and so I'm going to have him play with full-scale replicas of dialects and
1: have him chase him around, that kind of stuff. So it should be a lot of fun. If there's an SPCA for robot dogs, I'm calling them let them know about you <laughs> and
2: your neglect <laughs> yeah poor Ken, he's he's uh in fact he's right next to me right here kind of looking sad with the <laughs> 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 i took the panel off you see all his guts on the inside and it's funny you mentioned your your son has a raspberry pi and uh my canine also has a raspberry pi in him it does some things so i'm very familiar with raspberry pies and adrenos because he's got about five Arduino's in him as well wow yeah
1: Alright, so I've got a couple of new things going on here. Um, I think I want to intro this with a safety topic, and I'm sure you guys are the same way, but whenever I'm at the field and people are starting up wet fuel engines in the pits, I'm always very weary because I, I want to be out of the prop arc, because I'm always scared that a prop is either going to come off the engine or a blade's going to come off, and I don't want to be either to the side or in front of it when that happens. So when people start engines and run them up and they're kind of not paying attention to that, I I get out of the way or I politely you know ask them to to point it in a different direction. Um, cause I actually have seen it happen, so it's a real thing. Now, related to that, let's go back to the F14 that I've talked about a few times on here. I finally got around to fixing it up, and I got everything ready, and I put a 4S battery in it, i was going to fire up the the ducted fans for the first time and i got to about 75% throttle and one of the impellers on the the port fan just exploded and this was in my workshop and parts went flying through the foam airframe some came out of the cheater hole in the top i mean little bits of plastic fan went everywhere and it's not something that i had ever considered for edfs before i never really about staying out of the way if something catastrophic were to happen but I guess catastrophic things can happen and you don't want to be in the way when it does but uh, I wasn't hurt and other than a few little uh, holes in the airplane it was fine um, but it just kind of opened my eyes to that possibility and those are what like 600 watt power plants so there's it's not a trivial trivial amount of energy behind these little plastic shards
2: Yeah, it always pays to treat any type of spinning bit with a lot of respect.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I have to wonder if I was the victim of sabotage. Uh,
2: I don't know anything. (laughs) I know nothing. I know nothing about these things.
1: It's funny, when I took it apart to replace the impeller, there was only the inner part of the, the impeller on there. Everything outside of the center had flown off in a matter of you know, just a second or two, however long it took me to shut down the, the fan. <laughs> but now it's got new blades on it and everything seems to be running fine. Just waiting on me to take it out and give it a maiden flight. Well, that's
2: good. I'm excited. I'm really sorry it. that happened. That, that's, it's really unusual. It, like, but, you know, things are unusual until they happen. And, uh, glad you weren't hurt about yeah, it.
1: it. And I think it's to be expected when you put 600 watts through a little hunk of plastic. <laughs> you know, you, you roll the dice. You never know. So just you know, to try to be mindful of what could happen and,
2: and stay out of oh, the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Safety first, always.
1: Glad you're okay. Yeah, me too. Thanks. It's hard. Now, that,
2: I, that means I don't get your toys
1: I'm, then, huh? <laughs> yeah, you were on my will. But since that incident, I've visited my lawyer. <laughs> Changes have been made. Damn it.
0: I already told I already told Terry that in my will I give him 30 seconds to rummage through my workshop and then get the heck out. <laughs> Ignore the
2: ticking sound you hear. No,
0: no he it's just, like he's, the, just got, he's got a time limit and that's <laughs> it. It's
1: like the game shows where they put you in the booth with the the cash blowing around in a fan whatever you can grab in 30 seconds is
0: oh, did, did I forget keep. to tell you you were blindfolded too? <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, well just for that I'm leaving you all my quads. Oh, okay.
2: That's a low blow to Lee. All
1: right. So I've got one more new addition to my fleet, and and this is significant. I've got my first ever in my life gas-powered plane. I'm waiting for the Usinas. Ooh. Ah. Thank you. This is an ESM... Don't ask me what ESM stands for, but it's a popular brand for scale warbirds. And ESM Val, and the Val was a, a Japanese dive bomber during World War yes. II. Who made that, Fitz? Was that
2: Nakajima? Uh, Aichi.
1: I, okay. Now that I thought that was the name of it.
2: That's, a, that's who made it. The, that's the yeah. company?
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's why I ask you these questions. <laughs> you know.
2: No problem.
1: Um, anyway, this is obviously secondhand. Um, I traded with a buddy of mine in the club up here. And Fitz, I think you've seen this model before because you were at our Warbird event last year. But it is a, a very well-put-together model and very meticulously detailed. It's got a DLE 30cc engine, mm. um, lots of nice servos, a, a smoke system. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be nice. Um, I've got to learn all the ins and outs of gas power systems before I'm ready to fly it. But uh, I'm excited about it. And this should be a good transitional model. It, it's not complex. It doesn't have retracts um, because the full-scale model or the full-scale airplane did not. It had fixed landing gear. Um, it doesn't have a, a lot of complex stuff. It's basically uh, flaps and then the control surfaces. Yeah. And the smoke plus,
2: system. Plus the you know, valves typically, uh, even the real ones had a lot of wing
1: area for their plane. They should be really close. Oh yeah, that. it's got a huge yeah. wing, and so it ought to be plenty forgiving. And the guy that I got it from commented on how easy it is to fly, so I I think it'll be a, a good transitional plane for me. I'm excited. Yeah, about that's it. awesome.
2: So now I got to learn how to hand prop one of those things, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you were talking about safety. Sometimes I see these guys walk up to a big gasser and they with no gloves or anything, they just start flipping the prop over with their bare hands, and I cringe like, uh, no, no, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do that. But. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it a lot of times, so I guess I feel safe about it. But I, I'd have to wear a glove or something.
1: Yeah, when I was uh, a kid, and we did nitro, we used chicken sticks yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a chicken stick is. Uh, would that work for a gas engine? It seems like you would tear up the prop. Yeah.
2: Well, chicken sticks usually were rubber
1: coated, weren't they? Yeah, a but them? fuel tubing or something. Yeah,
2: or something. Uh, yeah. You, or you can get a you can get a big geared starter too, as well. Okay. Let, yeah, let I'll have for to me. ask
1: the guy what he used for it. I'll
2: emulate that. Yeah.
1: He still has all his
2: fingers. <laughs> so. so, yeah, he's a good guy to ask. Yeah. All right, that'd, that'd be interesting. Yeah, let us know how that goes. I'm curious, because I've never done a gasser. I've only st- stood by, watched as in sidelines.
1: Yeah, it ought to be a steep learning curve.
2: <laughs> you need a pull start like a you know, lawnmower or something. They <laughs> 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 so can pull the engine off the, mom, the firewall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have you seen that video of the guy who was kicked? Yeah, the I saw that. <laughs>
2: He got what he deserved on that one. Yeah.
1: Have you seen that, Lee?
0: I think that's fake. It can't be real.
1: Never. You mean nobody's that dumb? No. I mean, seriously. Are do you think he was
0: actually trying to? Get, I think he was kickstarting it just because he didn't like the plane. I think they were just no, putting. No, I, it couldn't no, have been real. It? If it was real, that was just up oh,
1: pathetic. No. Never. He seemed <laughs> genuinely disappointed when the fire fell Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> never under. Uh, never underestimate the power of human stupidity.
0: That was awful.
1: Don't do not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've done plenty of dumb stuff before, don't get me wrong. But, yeah, that, <laughs> I don't think I would have done that.
2: Well, um, I'm being a fan of Japanese airplanes, I always liked the Val. It's a really nice looking plane. Uh, even the real one was despite being sort of semi-obsolete when it entered service, it was actually a pretty good plane for the time. Uh, and uh, it's got nice lines and it should fly really well and if you ever don't want it, let me know. Maybe we can make a deal.
1: I will keep that in mind. But don't hurt your uh, breath. God damn it.
2: <laughs> uh, I've got another ducted fan for you. This one, you know, for yeah, 1,000 watts. Make sure you look at it really closely while you're running it up. <laughs> oh, now I get it. <laughs> I, I walked into that one. You, it's a point way over there. <laughs>
0: Well, I just want you to know, Terry, that I mentioned in a previous podcast that I was considering getting a Gasser Corsair. So you know,
1: right? I, I figured I had to beat you to it and steal your thunder.
2: <laughs> yeah, literally.
1: Yeah. yeah. So y- when you get that Corsair, we'll dogfight. There you go. No nah. oh, formation. We will recreate history. Well,
0: yeah. well, well, we can dogfight uh, Fitz's Japanese plane. His little electric. My zero? Let's take it out.
1: My zero?
2: <laughs> yeah. zero's quarter scale, or giant scale, we're going to call it. Well, start running. There you go. Two, two <laughs> Japanese and one American? Almost even?
1: Mm. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to comment on that.
2: No. Actually, I remember reading that the valves were actually very maneuverable. Once they dropped the bombs, they actually could do a pretty good job of dogfighting. Uh, although they, were, they weren't very well armed, but uh, they, they were... They they actually had a fighting chance.
1: You know, I've heard the same thing about A-6 intruders. When they weren't bogged down with bombs, they could turn inside of an F-14.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, I can see that happening. Until the F-14 says, okay, enough playing around, and he guns the throttles and goes vertical. and (laughs) (laughs) Comes down and shreds them, but yeah. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: There's a Top Gun reference in there somewhere, but...
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'll hit the throttles and he'll go right behind us. All right, I think we're all beginning too dangerous for this podcast, so I think uh, that sums up everything quite nicely. Thank you guys for coming around and having another great episode of RC Roundtable. It's been fun as always, and uh, I really look forward to our next round where we get to poke fun at somebody. All right, peace out. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions and listen to our other great podcasts. Those who live in Las Vegas can listen to us over the radio at the all-new Magic 97.9 FM, KIOFLP, Las Vegas.